You're listening to a podcast from Reality Honolulu. For more information or ways to get involved in the life of the church, visit realityhonolulu.com. Thanks for listening. Well, good to be with you guys. Uh, my name is Riz. I'm the pastor here at Reality Honolulu, and uh, just blessed and honored to be used by the Lord and see what he's doing in our church, encouraged by all the work that he's done. Uh, we get into the Word of God normally right after announcements, so we're getting back into the book of Philippians. So if you have a Bible with me, why don't you turn to Philippians chapter 3, verse 1. We've been making our way for several months now verse by verse, through Paul's letter to the church in Philippi. And uh, we are pretty slow about it. We like to go slow and dig in and just kind of dissect it and figure out all that God has. Uh, Today, we're going extra slow and we're doing only one verse, the very first verse of chapter three of Philippians. I'm going to read it and then we'll go ahead and pray. Philippians 3.1. This is Paul speaking. He says, further... My brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again. It's a safeguard for you. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. God, thank you for this time that we have in your word. We take it as a gift. We take this time gathered as a gift from you, and we ask, Lord, that you would uh, do everything you want to do in this time. We want to open our hearts to receive what you have to say to us. We want to be a people that are receptive to the leading of the Spirit of God. And so we just ask that you would, uh, your will would be done, your kingdom come today in this place, that you would use me as your mouthpiece to communicate the truths of your word. God, we love you. We ask that you just take this time and have your way. Pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, life as a pastor is kind of, an, gives you a unique window into the world. Um, I've been in like full-time vocational ministry for kind of a lot of my life. Uh, I'm 33, I've been a pastor full-time since I was 21. So really formative like years of my life, I've been in full-time ministry. And why it's a unique window is that as pastors, you get to see like the, the, the highs and the lows of life, right? When it comes to, um, you know, births and people, people like asking you to come to the hospital to pray over their baby, they just, they had it, to doing baby dedications, to that process of um, life, but also in that same period, um, deal with death. And the reality of that and going into hospital rooms and praying for families of lost ones and doing memorial services. And so even just life and death stuff. But then also with marriages, right? With marriages, um, pastors get this inside look of like premarital and, um, you know, figuring out what it means the two to become one, officiating marriages, seeing like the most beautiful parts of life. But then unfortunately, also as pastors, you get to deal with all the bad parts of marriage, right? Divorce and affairs and adultery and navigating broken marriages and families and all that as well. Uh, as pastors, it feels like you get to see the, like, the darkest parts of life in a lot of ways, but also the highest peaks of joy, right? You get to see like the, the most wicked parts of sin, but then you get to like hear all the most amazing praise reports as well. 
It's this balance. But the more and more I do it, the more and more I'm involved in it and just get to see the realistic picture of life, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Not only personally, but just like Paul, I desperately want to see followers of Christ being filled with joy, walking in joy, rejoicing in the Lord. Because I feel like in a lot of ways, I've got to see that so many times in life, this is lacking. And so Paul speaking here, he's exhorting Christians, he's exhorting his brothers and sisters to rejoice in the Lord. And again, not only personally do I want to rejoice in the Lord more, but my desire as Paul's is because I've been so intimately you know, involved with so many lives, I desperately want to see people, specifically Christians, followers of Christ, live into a full Life of inescapable joy that comes from Christ. Desire, my prayer, the want. Despite all that happens to continue to live in this joy from the Lord. And the thing is, that's what God's plan is. It's always been that way, that his people, that humanity would live in joy. If you think of the garden, the garden of Eden, pre-sin, before sin entered the world and brought everything bad, right? Before there was any pain and heartbreak and shame, everything was good. Actually, it was really good, God said. There was nothing not to be joyful about. Think of that. Like it was perfect. Everything was perfect. There was not even a sense of like not being joyful. It was, it was perfect, Relationships were perfect. Relationship with God was perfect. There was not even such a thing as shame or fear or worry or anxiety or pain or sickness or heartbreak. Can you imagine that? And so Adam and Eve, pre-eating the fruit, lived in this state of like pure, undefiled joy. Abundant joy. Joy was abounding in the garden prior to the fall. And by design, like God's heart for all of humanity, we were created to live in that same place. Live abundantly, joy-filled lives. And not only do we see that like picture in the garden, but scripture over and over speaks of joy. Um, the Psalms speak about a lot of different things. They speak about heartbreak too, and there's lament and there's pain, but there's joy in the Psalms. Psalms in general are prayers or they're songs, and they're sung to either lament over something or they're to rejoice over something and praise the Lord. And um, I mean, some, some famous one is, you know, Psalm 35. It says, weeping may last for the night, but a shout of joy comes in the morning, right? Psalm 94, 19, when anxiety was great within me, your consolation brought me joy. This theme is continued, you know, even in like the book of Nehemiah, they're, they're restoring the wall, they're building the wall, and the charge to, to Nehemiah and, and the Jews there is, for the joy of the Lord is our strength. In the midst of what God is calling us to, in the hardship, the joy of the Lord is our strength. Even though I was weeping at night, a shout of joy came in the morning because of my God. Right? When anxiety was great, God, your consultation brought me great joy. As believers, our lives are to be filled with joy. We're supposed to experience, live it out. 
Jesus, when he was speaking to the crowds and his disciples in John 10, 10, he was speaking of the devil's purposes, the enemy. And he said, the enemy, John 10, 10, comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Doesn't want you to experience joy. Doesn't want you to live in the fullness of what God has for you. But I, Jesus, have come to give you life in that abundantly. He's speaking here of what happened in the garden. What I have come to do is to die so that humanity could experience the full, joy-filled, abundant life that God the Father wanted for all of you in the first place. Jesus said this. He wants us. He wants us to have a full life, an abundant life filled with joy. So many times we... From the outside, could look at the Christian world or Jesus or the Bible and think, oh, that's just a bunch of rules to, to rob my joy, to not have pleasure, to not have fun, a bunch of do nots, got to change my whole life, it's a bunch of rules now. Well, no, that's not it at all. God designed us in a certain way to experience a joy-filled, abundant life and all that God's word and God's spirit and even Jesus here is saying is, in me... I'm the one that is coming to give you life and that abundantly. Not as the world gives, not as the enemy wants, but my desire, as my Father designed you to be, filled with joy. Paul goes on in many of his letters, right? He's instructing different churches, different pastors, different leaders on what it means to look like living into discipleship, what it means to be a follower of Jesus. He expands practically on what the Gospels tell us of what Jesus did. And in the book of Galatians, so Paul's letter to the church in Galatia, he's describing the flesh and the spirit, and he's giving a contrast. Your flesh, your sinful nature, this is the fruit of your flesh. It's all these bad, horrible, horrific things that makes the world horrible. But he said, God in you, the spirit of God in you, the, the, the result of God at work in you is called the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of God's work in your life is this. And in Galatians 5, Paul says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Not only has God designed us to live in joy, not only did Jesus reaffirm that and come to die on the cross, to forgive us of sin, to restore a relationship with our God so that we could experience that joy he created us to live in. But he's also given us his Holy Spirit in us, right? We're the temple of the Holy Spirit. And God's work in us is that we would be changed and transformed, that the fruit of our life would be joy. That's one of the fruit. Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. The Christian's joy um, is not just what we would think of as happiness. Happiness is very fleeting and it's very circumstantial. Happiness is like a roller coaster, right? You can be really excited and then really terrified and like love it and hate it, right? You can think of your day and if you think of, was your day good? Well, there was moments of happiness and there was moments of sadness probably, right? Our emotions when it comes to happy are very shallow and fleeting and, and most of the times circumstantial. They're based off of circumstances. But joy in Christ is different because it's not rooted in circumstances. 
The joy that we have in Christ, what Paul is saying here, to rejoice in the Lord, is, is a constant rooted joy rather than a shallow or swayed type happiness. It's very different. What we'll see of the book of Philippians in chapter 3 and in chapter 4, Paul exhorts and lives out the fact that we actually are supposed to have joy in all circumstances. Not just when life's good, not just when I got the job, not when I got the promotion, not just when you made a lot of money, actually when you didn't do any of those things, when your life circumstantially is not going well. Paul says, you can still have the joy of the Lord in the midst of that. It's not like, so, so joy in Christ, though, isn't necessarily at all like you can't feel other emotions or be fake about it. Because that would be the other way. Well, Christian joy, I always going to be happy then. I always have to have a smile. Nothing's ever wrong. Everything, everybody asks me, am I good? And I always say, yes, I'm good. Well, that's, that's, that's not it. That's not what Paul's talking about. Life happens, things are hard. It's not necessarily at all that those emotions are bad to feel grief and sadness and lament or pain or sorrow. Those are not ungodly emotions. But in the midst of those emotions or on the other end or when the dust settles, true Christian joy is being able to say, but I still rejoice in my God. You can still, throughout all of the circumstances, whether nothing in your life ever pans out or it totally does, that none of that matters when it comes to your joy. Joy in the Lord is rooted much deeper than just circumstances. The joy of the Lord is to be, like Hebrews would say our hope is, like an anchor to our soul. It's the foundation, it's the anchor to which we build upon our lives. This is God's plan for us. God's plan is to be a joyful and joy-filled people. But here's the problem. When you look around in our world, this is not what we see. (laughs) This is not what we see. Man, I mean, you know, we are so connected in the world today, news-wise. Right, especially social media, it's on your phone, it's like in your back pocket right now, you can be touched to the whole world, good or bad. But man, you know what's been like super hard for me is like having news stations have Instagram stories. Because what happens is all of a sudden like horrible thing happened. Click more, for, you know, click if you want to read more. Horrible thing happened, click more. And it, you know, it goes for like the whole world now, right? You're learning about all these tragedies and these heartaches and these kidnappings and these deaths and everything, right? It's hard to even think about being joyful when you're like, this is horrible. The climate of our world is crazy. Also, our own personal lives, like so many of us are going through stuff right now and life's not easy and life's not the way I wanted it. And whether that's monetarily or physically or emotionally or relationship-wise or whatever it is, life is hard. Like that's just the nature of this fallen world we live in and all that we struggle with and go through. Life is hard. And that alone, just what's happening in our world and our own personal lives, it can be so hard to even grasp this idea of abundant joy. I was thinking about this this week and praying about it and 
Um, I was at Town Costco. Crazy, right? Uh, as always, usually. And I'm looking around. And sometimes it's just fun at Town Costco to like stop for a moment and just look at what's happening because it's madness, especially like when it opens, like that's always fun at opening or just when it's busy in the lines. I mean, maybe you guys hate it, but sometimes just it's fun to look and see what's happening. But no joke, I'm looking, I'm, I'm standing back for a second at Town Costco and I'm like, let me see if I can see anybody that looks remotely like they're having joy right now. <laughs> Next time do it and you'll be like, wow, there is no joy to be found in the store at all. And again, it's probably because it's Town Costco, the busiest in the world. But nonetheless, when we look around, when at any group of people or system, when describing someone or a group about what they're like, you don't hear that much. You don't hear that much. Ah, oh, they're a joy-filled bunch of people, abounding in joy. You just don't hear that. You, you even hear more, oh, they're, they're loving or they're generous or they're kind, and, and it, Maybe when they're doing those things, they look joyful. But if you think about it, it's rare, in my opinion, to look at groups of people or even ourselves or even if we ask someone, what do you think about me? I don't know if they're going to say joyful. Man, even the best people, it seems like, seem to be lacking in joy because of all that I just talked about. Life and the world and stuff. But rather, it's probably more common that we give the answer of, well, tell me about your life. What do you like? Or what is that group of people? Or how are they like? Or even at Town Costco, what are they like? Well, stressed, anxious, full of worry, full of fear, full of shame, whatever it is. Unfortunately, instead of God's design playing out, we are inundated with all these other scripts of our life. We're stressed, we're anxious, we're worrisome, we're fearful. And sadly, what this has done is an epidemic when it comes to depression and suicide. Alarming rates. You guys know, you've seen the news. and you, Alarming rates. According to the WHO, World Health Organization, 300 million people are dealing with depression currently. 300 million across worldwide. This isn't just an American thing. It's like worldwide, depression is an epidemic of of Hundreds of millions proportion. Also, according to the National Network of Depression Centers, uh, there is a suicide of every 12 minutes in the U.S. Every 12 minutes, someone in the, in the U.S. is committing suicide. These are alarming rates, right? Depression and suicide. And all these emotions, stress, anxiety, worry, fear, depression, suicide, are very real. And when we live in these continuously, not only is it just living outside of what God designed, like that's just not what God designed for you to live stressed out all the time or worried or fearful and in shame. That's not how God did it or wanted it or made it to be. You're dealing with depression. That's not what God designed for humanity. And the thing is, because if we're struggling and living with these emotions, not only are we living outside of what God designed, but there's real effects to us because of it. Like emotionally, mentally, physically, and spiritually, there's extreme wear and tear if we're not living into the fullness of what God has for us. There's real effects that can happen when we don't live in a life of joy, 
if you notice what Paul says here, he says, it's, it's not a trouble for me to remind you of this. It's actually a safeguard for you. Paul's saying, it's dangerous for you to not live a life filled with joy. It's dangerous. And we know that. We know that by the facts. We know that by statistics. We know that what it does to us to live outside of God's design. And all of this is from sin. It stems from it, right? Because pre-garden, pre-sin, there wasn't any of this stuff I just listed. But either because we're living in sin or the effects of someone else's sin is robbing us from joy. So don't get me wrong, it's not just like, oh, you're living in sin, that's why you're depressed. No. But any part of that, stress, anxiety, worry, fear, depression, suicide, any of that is a result of someone, something, sin. Yours or someone else's. But it's all a, a result of the fall that we're dealing with, that we live with. And this stuff becomes very personal really quick. But again, we know there's a solution. It isn't just a bleak picture and we go home. That is the state of what we live in. And in one way or another, we probably, if we were going to admit it, all struggle with these things, or some of them. But God sent his son to redeem the world, to save the world out of the effects of sin. Right? That's the redeeming work of the cross. That's why the cross happened, to, to save us from sin and to start redeeming and restoring the effects the sins had on us. He gives us his spirit, and by the power of his spirit, we're transformed. Remember Galatians? And we be, begin being healed and set free, and we get redeemed, and we get right. And then also, like, we have the promise of God's word, of his design, and his character, and his sovereignty, and his control, and his goodness. Like, we have all of that. And what happens is, is this should and does change our identity, our grounding, our image, our purpose is no longer grounded in what we've done or haven't done or how we were raised or how we weren't raised or how much money we have or how much money we don't have or where you're from or where you're not from. When you come to Christ, you are born again, meaning you are a new creation, meaning your grounding, your image, your purpose, your identity is not based off of you. It is based off of what Christ did upon the cross. What that does, what that should do for all of us, if we believe this and we live it out, it brings hope. It brings hope that God is not done with us, that he can restore, he can, re he can heal us, he can forgive us, he can change us. The fact that we know that we are Christ's beloved gives us hope, which in turn, excuse me, in turn gives us joy. We can have joy because we have hope that God is not done with us. And he's bigger than all my junk and all my stuff. And also having the posture of thankfulness of realizing what God's done for us and the gift that he's given us in his son also brings us joy 
when we're thankful, when we're reminded of who God is and what he's done for us personally and for the world, that gratitude actually brings us joy. And not only do these truths change us and transform us, but we're reminded of who we are in Christ. And all of that combined brings about joy. The failure is forgetting who we are, forgetting our identity, not walking in the truth that we've been saved, believing the lies that we are this and that and the other, not choosing to believe the truth of who we are in Christ. But also, just being in God's presence brings about joy. Being in the presence of God brings about joy. Psalm 1611 says, you will show me the path of life and in your presence is fullness of joy and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. In God's presence is the fullness of joy. Remember the garden. Joy in its purity, in its sense, it's untainted. It's not messed with. In God's presence, the joy of the Lord is still that pure and that full. And it says that we experience joy as we experience God's presence. That's what it means there. When we enter in, when we're in God's presence, we can experience the joy of God. So this is this concept that people have been trying to figure out for 2,000 years is practicing the presence of God. How do, how do we do that? How do we experience God's presence? What does that mean? How do we interact? How do we commune? How do we have a relationship with God? And there's, there's practices, there's things that we do that fosters that, whether it's take communion or, or read God's word or, or pray and listen for God to speak. But especially... All those things are right and good, and we should foster and cultivate a relationship with God to experience his presence. But also, worship. Worship, we experience the presence of God. Psalm 22, 3, it says that God is enthroned or inhabits the praises of his people. He literally lives in, inhabits, when God's people worship him. When God's people worship him, he shows up. His presence is there in a tangible way. We need, as believers, as followers of Christ, as Christians, we need to dig in and pray through this and try to strive to practice living in the presence of God. And again, that's so ethereal and that's so hard sometimes to figure out what that means. But press into God. Press in, read his word, pray more, worship more. I'm not just saying do that in religious senses, but do it for the sake of a relationship. Cry out to God, ask God. Fall on your knees before the Lord, read his word, cultivate a lifestyle, practicing and living out the presence of God. We have to do that more. We have to at least try to do it more and figure out what it means to get more of Jesus. All that is right and good and true to receive joy in our life. But sometimes the means of all this truth connecting to how we feel, the depth of how we feel, we may need something more and something different. 
By no means am I saying that God's word or prayer in his pre- or in his presence is lacking. Don't get me wrong. Don't hear me that. Don't hear that way. But sometimes we're so messed up by sin or by the effects of sin by someone else that the, del- the delivery method by which these truths permeate into our hearts need to be something different. God, throughout his word, has always used his people and other people to speak into people's lives. I want to encourage you guys to think out of the box. Some of you, it may be hard. But counseling and therapy can be really helpful and a big breakthrough. And sometimes you just need it because nothing's getting through. You know the word, you've heard it, people have prayed over you and you're still walking in it and you may need people to sit down with you and walk you through what the depth of your, the root problem is. What is it? What is holding you back? What's going on? Why aren't you experiencing the presence and the joy of the Lord? And what I'm speaking here is, 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 is counseling and I understand that some of you may be squirming and uncomfortable. I was raised that way. Counseling and the Bible, counseling and church don't go hand in hand. Opposite. And I want to hear and tell you that counseling is not contradictory to Scripture. If it can be, then don't listen to that. But by design, it's made to promote health and wholeness and healing emotionally. I've been through counseling. My wife's been through counseling. A lot of you guys have actually been through counseling. We can testify the fruit of sometimes needing someone to ask the hard questions, to dig in and ask the right questions at the right time, speak truth into where we need it most. What helped me is, uh, think of it as the same way that we would go to a doctor for a cold or surgery or cancer. Our emotions, our feelings, and our mind are also parts of our body that God designed. And do the effects of sin, whether it's trauma or upbringing or whatever, can leave us hurting and broken and unhealthy. And in the same way that God uses doctors, he can use doctors of the brain and emotions. The reason why I'm hitting this hard is especially in the area of depression. Depression is so real. It's heavy, it's gnarly, and and it's sometimes all-encompassing. And depression is actually the opposite of what Paul is speaking about here. It's literally the opposite of what God wants. Joy and depression are, 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 are opposites here. Christian counseling and therapy may be exactly what you need in order to get healing to the root of the problem. I'm happy to debate with you questions, any of that after. Talk to me seriously. I, I would love to share more. But I want to bring it and remind you of why I'd even bring it up. Why I'd bring up practicing the presence of God. Why I'd bring up the word and prayer. We are trying to live into God's original design, the fullness of joy. The way in which the kingdom of God comes here and now is praying and living into that. God, through his word and his promises, by the power of his spirit, as we pursue wholeness, as we ask for help, as we ask for other people to help us, The goal is to live into wholeness, health, and joy at all costs. It's not just me telling you this, the effects of, if we don't. Paul here, to the church in Philippi, says it's dangerous if we don't, if we're not mindful of the lack of joy in our life. And on a personal 
personal note, I want to speak to the emotional stuffers in the room for a second. You don't deal with your stuff. You're really good at like pushing it down and moving on and not dealing with it. Well, if Paul was the chief of sinners, I'm actually the chief of emotional stuffers, 100%. Grew up that way. My whole mom's side of the family, like Roman Catholics from Boston, like we don't talk about anything. We don't share our feelings. And if we do, we just fight you. We fight you or we don't talk. You know, grew up in a, parents got divorced when I was three, only child. There was a lot of pain associated with growing up. Never dealt with it. Soldiered on. Mom did. Family does. Let's do this. I'm real good at soldiering on. Let's stuff it down. Let's not deal with it. Let's move on. And I will tell you right now, it will come and bite you. It'll bite you hard. Mainly, it'll bite the relationships that you care about most in your life. If you don't deal with it. If Paul was the chief of sinners, I was the chief of stuffing emotions. I'm a, I'm a recovering one still. But what that does, not dealing with our stuff, negative stuff, what it does ultimately is it robs us from experiencing the fullness of joy. That's at the end of the day. You might think, oh, well, that's, I'm, I can just stuff all my negative emotions. Well, I'll be honest, it's not good. You're getting robbed. It's robbing us from God, allowing God to heal us and transform us. He wants to redeem all of that for his glory. He wants to fill us with an abundant, joy-filled life. And not only is it hurting you, it's hurting other people around you, and it's actually possibly making you a little bit ineffective at ministering to other people because you haven't dealt with your own stuff yet. The way in which we rejoice in the Lord is surrender and give ourselves to God and ask God, change us, transform us into your image. God wants the deep places of our heart. He wants us to be healthy and whole and full of joy. God has the power to do it. Through the cross, his spirit, his word, and other people, God is able to restore and heal and redeem. And even when it feels like, how could we have joy in the world? He's able to give us the inexpressible joy in the Lord. So man, if this is you, like if you're reoccurringly deeply sad, lonely, depressed, suicidal, know that that is a very real thing and as a Christian, don't feel bad about it. So many times Christians think this is not how I should be feeling, so we hide it and we don't deal with it. We're all in the same boat. 300 million people are in the same boat worldwide. God does not want that for you. You need, you need others' help to pray for you, support you, and counsel you. I have a ton of resources of counselors on island books. I'd love to talk to you more about it. Please come talk to me. But church, I'm gonna end with an exhortation for all of us. Let's break the mold and deal with our junk. Right? So many times it's like, I just don't wanna like ruffle the feathers or I just don't wanna go there. I didn't want to for a long time because I didn't wanna talk about it. Especially like emotional stuffers. That's what you... You train yourself to do is not talk about stuff. I don't want to have that talk with that relationship. I don't want to deal with that. I don't want to be reminded of that pain. But church, let's deal and surrender and get healed from the skeletons in our closet.
I know that I'm asking us to do the hardest, most painful part of life. I understand that. I know, I've been there and I'm still there. But for the sake of living into the fullness of what God has to be freed and healed from sin and fully experience joy, let's do it. Let's do it together. Let's do it alongside each other. Let's not fall into the trap that Paul is trying to warn about here. Let's heed Paul's advice and let's do whatever it takes to live into what God has for us and experience a life filled with joy. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you that you're a God that is intimately acquainted with all our ways. You care about how we feel. You care about what has happened to us, what we've done, what others have done to us. You care about the depths of who we are. And Jesus, maybe the first step is, God, we want to we get to the place where we say, God, I, I, I want you to heal. I want to talk about it. I, wanna, I want you to heal me. I want to be restored. I want to I deal with maybe the stuff I haven't dealt with. Lord, I pray you'd give us courage in that, boldness. You'd give us, God, we need it. It's so fearful. It's so painful. And it can be. But Lord, we want all that you have for us. And so God, help us not to get into, into the... Uh, in the way of that. God, we don't want to get in the way of the work of the Spirit in our lives. So God, we want to say, here I am. Like, like, speak to me, heal me, redeem me. And Lord, we just pray for wisdom of maybe what that would look like in our lives. Like, what does that even look like? How do we even start there? Just just give us wisdom, Lord. Show us which way to go. But allow our hearts to be open to you doing the deep heart work that we all desperately need. God, I pray that we'd be a church that experiences the the life-giving joy of the Lord. That we would be able to say in all circumstances, I rejoice in the Lord, even though this is happening. Would you do that in us? We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.